Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Tierney ou le grand pot pour Olivier Ferlon, qu'est-ce qu'il lui a fait là Qu'est-ce qu'il lui fait qu'il y a un Tierney Tierney c'est quoi C'est quoi ça Il vient souhaiter une très bonne année aux supporters d'Arsenal Kieran Tierney Calroche Magnifique This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too, Andrew. How you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. Yeah, it's been a strange kind of weird interlull, I think. Yeah. It feels like... I don't know quite how it feels like, actually. It feels <laughs> weird. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just uh, my end things feel a bit weird. Maybe it's just a well, general overarching weirdness, you know, over the last few months, but it just feels a bit weird. Like, I've forgotten what the last Arsenal game was very quickly. Yeah, and this is oh, a weird West Ham. international. Yeah. West Ham, yeah. But this is a weird international break as well, right? Because mm. senior teams are qualifying for a Christmas World Cup in before we've even played the Euros. Uh, the under-21 teams are playing the group stage of the European Championships before returning to play the knockouts, mm. I think, in the summer. Um, and it just feels all a bit odd and kind of like everything's been sort of thrown together and jumbled up and none yeah. of the matches are happening in the right order. Uh, and there is this kind of weird... I suppose the fact that there are international games and international travel is, is even happening even mm. feels quite odd, doesn't it? It does. It does. It is all very weird and stuff. It's not going very well for England under 21s, is it? For Eddie no, Keddie no. and Emile Smith-Rowe played no, yesterday. Um, they've got a talented squad um, who massively underperform and I think a lot of scrutiny is going to be on the manager there, A.D. Buthroyd, who looks every inch the successor to sort of Stuart Pearce in that position. <laughs> um, but uh, it's not going very, very well for Republic of Ireland either. Yeah. Senior team. No, no. I mean, I didn't watch. I didn't watch. That I is mean, an extraordinary result, though, I think. It really is. It really is. I mean, you know, I was sort of um, before then, I had no intention of watching it anyway, but it was like, well, I'm sure, despite how poorly things have been going of late, Ireland can beat Luxembourg. <laughs> yeah. And then they didn't. They lost to Luxembourg. I mean, I think it's what, the, the third game they've won 
in qualifying competitions of all time, something like that. Maybe wow. I'm wrong there. I don't know, but like, yeah. Well, they're not one many. We we know that mm. much. Um, it is a pretty extraordinary result. But yeah, I, I, I find it interesting. I mean, I I've not been glued to the international football. I won't lie to you, Andrew. Mm. I'm sort of enjoying a bit of respite from the men's football Premier League calendar. Yeah, you weren't drawn in just when I thought I was out. They pulled me back in and it's England versus, who was it, Albania? That didn't no, capture your imagination? Well, I think Bukai Saka's withdrawal from the squad kind of effectively ended my yeah, interest. That's good and bad, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I don't know enough to say kind of where on that good badometer it is. But mm. I, I mean, on the one hand, I was relieved because, you know, him going away and playing a load of football is the last thing he needed. But then there is that part of your mind that goes, well, how bad is it that they felt they needed to pull him out? I hope this is kind of a Alex Ferguson international withdrawal where the manager sort of put his foot down and told Ryan Giggs he's not going. Are you to allowed to do that anymore, though? I mean, are you? I don't know. Don't know. Um, like, I don't know how he got away with it all the years that he did. It's quite incredible, really. But, you know, I don't know. Are there managers that powerful now that they can stop probably players? Not. You probably know? not. Especially so close to the Euros. I mean, as brilliant as Bukayo Saka has been for Arsenal, there is quite uh, a lot of competition within the England squad. Mm. And I've seen a few people's, you know... Um, chosen squads a few journalists doing the round and there have been one or two that haven't had Saka in which might seem absurd to us but um, the, you know the position he's played at England is predominantly left back and they have got a couple of other options there so yeah I think he would have wanted to be with the squad if mm. he could have been um, yeah. but let's hope the week and the assessment at close quarters does him some good yeah yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, he, he could really use those two weeks off and, and uh, you know, we, we're all slightly concerned, aren't we, about the amount of minutes that he's played and whether that might have an effect on him. And somebody made the point to me, apologies, over the weekend on Twitter that, you know, um, someone like Haaland at Dortmund has played a similar amount of minutes and nobody really worries about him. Although mm. maybe Dortmund fans do. I don't know. Do Dortmund fans worry that at a similar age he's playing a lot of minutes. He does seem a bit like a kind of football terminator, though. You know what I mean? In yeah. that you could throw him into a vat of liquid metal and he would emerge the far side of it, reconstitute himself and just score some goals. Yeah, it feels cruel to use the word freak, but there is something freakish about his physicality. And like I, he mm. does seem... That is almost, I mean, it feels unfair because his technical attributes are so good, but physically he is just a, a, a monster of a player. So maybe there is, the assumptions around mm. him and his fitness are slightly different. Yeah. Um, but it's a very good point nonetheless. I mean, I think the only reason we're really worried about it is because we've seen a little dip in his form as well. I think if he was still playing at the fantastic level he's played for most of the season, maybe we wouldn't be too concerned. But we, yeah. we have now seen some evidence of a dip in his form. And I think that makes everybody you know, think twice and think, is this guy feeling it a bit now? Yeah, that's true. That's true. When you're in good form, you don't feel tired. When you're scoring and playing well, you don't feel tired. And, 
you know, yeah, a few games without a goal or whatever can can have an impact. Well, look, you know, we'll keep fingers crossed that mm. that nothing too serious uh, has occurred. That means he's been withdrawn and that he can get the rest and recuperation and you know get that hamstring back to full fitness, if you like. Because um, there is a big game coming up this weekend, of course. So um, that's yeah, that's on Liverpool the on Saturday mm. night, right? Yeah. So we'll we'll talk about that later in the week, I think. Um, who else has been away? Thomas Partey has been away. Played for Ghana. Abemiang uh, mm. scored, I believe, for Gabon. And made a, a good assist as well. I think there was a video doing the rounds over the weekends, uh, over the weekend on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, look, if he's gone away and played well and sparked back into life, that can be that can be good for us. I think it was just the one game for Aubameyang as well, which uh, is ideal, really. You know, something to get his confidence up and then have a little bit of time off. Um, I'm just trying to think. Thomas Partey played for Ghana. Granite Xhaka, I assume. Not particularly well, by all accounts. Oh, really? Uh, Granite Xhaka, yeah, you would think, right? I mean, he plays all the games for everybody. Um, Even for teams he's not on, he plays for them. Yeah, I think he played for England, actually. (laughs) Uh, The England 21s. Uh, yeah, and of course the other twenty ones. I mean, it's a big tournament for Eddie and Katia in some ways. It feels like an opportunity, or felt like, shall we say, an opportunity to put himself really in the shop window rather than mm. kind of push for a first team place at Arsenal. But with the team playing the way they are, I mean, he's he's barely had a chance to speak of, and uh, yeah, he he's really kind of frustrated. fallen out of. Favor, I guess, is probably the wrong word, but it, you know he was at one point this season remarkably our leading goal scorer for a brief period, and that in part was due to like nobody else scoring any goals. Um, yeah. But you know he was involved quite a lot, and I know we had Europa League games which might have skewed that a little bit, but he was certainly involved at Premier League level as well, um, and now hasn't been for quite some time. I think the last the last time he played. Um, the Premier League was as a sub, maybe at the end of January, something like that, you know. Um, but but you know, at the end of last season or the start of this season, even there were times where he was picked in Premier League games ahead of. Mm. Uh, well, it was Lacazette really. I yeah. was playing wide at that time, but that feels like a very long time ago now. Yes, it does. It does. And, uh, you know, he's got 12 months left on his deal come the summer. So it's another one of the issues that we've got to deal with, um, you know, when the when the window opens. Uh, mm-hmm. Kieran Tierney, I guess, played for Scotland, did he? Probably played mm-hmm. yeah. 300 minutes in, a, in each game. Um, <laughs> yeah, at 400 miles per hour. Yeah, probably. Um, I mean... Yeah, but I haven't heard anything too troubling apart from the Saka news, which is my, you know, saving grace. It's that it's that classic Arsenal fan thing of just wanting players to re- come back fit. Yeah, yeah. So there's one more round of games, I think, isn't there, this week? Yes. You know, games happening probably tonight, tomorrow and, and Wednesday. And then that's it for internationals. And then we push on um, towards the end of the season. So um we are going to do some questions i think the best way to do this particular episode is just take questions in both parts rather than just make it a a, a two-parter you know i think it may be the only way it may be the only way so here's a question from our discord from ny gooner 14 who says what are your thoughts on fekir as an odegar alternative stories doing the rounds about uh, nabil fekir um 
who plays currently with Real Betis. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, what are your thoughts on that guy? It's an interesting link, isn't it? I saw Charles Watts saying, you know, he is on the list and someone that they're they're interested in. Mm. He'll be 28 this summer, um, which doesn't strike me as kind of the optimum mm. time to buy a player. Mm. Um, and that would worry me slightly, especially as well, given that he is a player with substantial injury history. I mean, he was supposed to won- join Liverpool yeah. at one stage. Um he had one big injury, yeah, particularly, but I, I, I don't know too much about his physical history since then. But I know that it was obviously a concern for Liverpool. Um, I, the age thing is the thing that mm. makes the biggest difference to me. I mean, if you compare signing a 28-year-old with a two, 22-year-old or whatever Odegaard is, uh, there's yeah. a big difference there in terms of where that player is headed in their development over the next four to five years. Yeah, you know? it is one of the things that we're going to have to deal with, isn't it? You know, when we do recruit, the need to retain value in players yeah. uh, and to buy players that, you know, um, may not be with us for the rest of their careers, but could over the course of a, a period with us increase in value and then get sold on and help fund other arrivals and, and what have you. So I do think that is a consideration for for whatever it is we need to do in the transfer market, the age profile of certain players. I mean, we went big on Thomas Partey and I wouldn't change it, but, you know, um, you can only do so many of those deals, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's not in isolation, you know, we went big on Aubameyang, say, or, mm. you know, a couple of other contractual ones. So yeah. that would be my immediate thing on that I mean there's no doubt he's a talented player very you know gifted skillful can play uh, a number of positions can play you know primarily mm. in the kind of number 10 role but he can play out wide on the right as a push can play up front so you know he's someone who could bring options and would be an alternate to Odegaard potentially um, but you'll have to forgive me if I can't get quite as excited about it as I would a potential Odegaard arrival. Okay, here's another one from the Discord from Gregors who says, is having Odegaard on loan for another year a good or a bad idea? Um, Well, my immediate thought is I'm not sure that that will be particularly possible. No, Yeah, leave Uh, aside the possibility, but let's just imagine. Let's use our imaginations. It's tempting, isn't it? Of course it's tempting because, mm. you know, you get to have the player for another 12 months. Um, I'm actually going to go with yes, that would be a decent thing in the circumstances. And the reason is that the club is in such a difficult financial position that I do wonder if... 12 months down the line with 12 months hopefully of fans back in stadiums and the added revenue that will bring maybe they might be in a position the following summer to have a bit more flexibility Mm. in terms of how they approach the transfer market so if someone offered you effectively a year of Odegaard for a fraction of the price of what it would cost to buy a player then I think in, in the circumstances that would be a pretty good option but I can see the argument for why not to do it. What do you think? I think basically what you think, if we can get the player for another year, then, you know, it can only be, can only be good for us. 
Um, and the the other issue is that his contract has two years left at Real Madrid. So then right. you have a year left on his contract there, and they have to make a decision. You know, might might mean they have to make a decision this summer on him, whether they give him a yeah. contract extension or whether they decide to you know move him on and cash him in. But just you know, bottom line, however it happens, if we had him in our team in our squad next year. I'd be I'd be very happy. So, how about Madrid give him this summer a ten-year contract extension, but the first five of those are spent on loan with Arsenal? Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. What about this for a question? Um, Sean Marn says, given the complete lack of funds this summer, is it worth considering deploying Torreira? beside Partey in our midfield for the new season. Oh, yeah, we had one from the Discord as well about that, from Jithin Krishnan, who says, is Torreira, partner, uh, Torreira Partey partnership serviceable in midfield? The player seems to want to come back, and at least going by uh, his form in the first season at the club, surely this is a player we can make good use of to add defensive solidity in front of the back four. Mm. I... I'm not sure how much he wants to come back. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Um, I think, no, I mean, I think that the un- the understanding I have is obviously he'd be happy to come back if, if he felt he was going to play. But I think, you know, he really did want to move to Spain last summer. And I think it will be his priority to stay in Spain or Italy if he can. Um yeah, but doesn't I don't think- Yeah. I mean, what do you think of the situation at, at Atletico in that, look, he's hardly played. He's only played yeah. something like six, seven hundred minutes of, of La Liga football for Atletico Madrid. And, you know, when, when he went there, people spoke about how much of a fit he would be for someone like Diego Simeone, you know, the kind yeah. of football that he wants to play, uh, you know, a, a, an aggressive defensive midfield player, blah, blah, blah. He's going to fit in perfectly South American mentality, etc., etc. I mean, is it just a case that, you know, they've been so good this season that his chances are, are few and far between? Or is he playing a very specific role? I think you wrote about him over the weekend, didn't you? And talked mm-hmm. about him as somebody who comes on late in games um, to do a specific job there. But, you know, he can't be happy with the way that loan has gone. No, he can't be at all. And when he signed, he spoke about how, you know, he was desperate to work with Simeone. They'd had a really good conversation about his place and his plans. And it hasn't materialised at all. Mm. Um it's funny, if you speak to different people on different sides of the deal, some say, well, look, Simeone just doesn't fancy him as much as he thought he might and hasn't really wanted to use him. There is also a kind of uh, a conspiratorial idea that Atletico are kind of trying to keep the players' value down, either so they can um, you know, acquire him permanently for less this summer or just to kind of spite Arsenal for nicking Thomas Partey off them on deadline yeah. day last year. <laughs> I... I I'm not sure I'd buy that personally just because I, I don't think managers tend to do that. I think they, you know, if a player's useful to them, they pick him and he hasn't needed to pick him. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not, I, I don't think he can be particularly confident of staying at Atleti, but there were clubs who tried to sign him in January. And I wonder if some of those will come back for him in the summer. Mm. I, it's an interesting one midfield because players are going to go out. Right, I mean, Danny Ceballos, let's say, is is mm. probably unlikely to be at Arsenal next season. I would, I would not put any money on it if I were a betting no. man, which I'm not. But no. there you go. Um, 
which leaves you with, you know, Granite Shaka, Thomas Partey, Mohamed El Nenny, and Joe Willock. And really. Matteo Ganduzi. And Matteo Ganduzi. But personally, I don't see Ganduzi or Torreira being part of the squad next season. I mean, might it be a case that we have to? Use I mean, one of them. You know what I mean. And look, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm like you. I don't really think that Torreira wants to be at Arsenal, or he, not that he doesn't want to be at Arsenal. That's wrong to say. I think he would prefer to be somewhere else. You know. So. Yeah. Um. You know. And I think Genduzzi's bridges are pretty much burned with Mikel Arteta. Um. And I don't really believe there's any kind of future for him particularly given that he's got a year left on his contract. And, and you know, I just cannot see Arsenal um, giving him a new deal or anything like that. So, no. Um, so but they, Torreira's situation is not the same as Gondouzi's, no, is it? No. Uh, um, the bridges aren't burnt to the same degree. And and what happened with Elneny, you know, it does show that Arteta is provi- uh, prepared to offer players kind of a way back. It wasn't mm. his choice to send on any out, it's worth remembering. Um, but, you know, it, no one anticipated him becoming part of the first-team squad and he, he's managed it. Torreira maybe could be involved to kind of make up the numbers, but I don't, like uh, like you, I don't think it'll be his first choice. And I think if someone comes to the club with respectable money for mm. him, I think they'll be inclined to take it. That That will be the issue, though. I mean... My my sort of broad thought about the summer is that I think it's the case every summer that we probably don't do as much business as fans anticipate. You know, we all draw up our list of, yeah. well, he could go, he could go, he could go, and then we'll need a left back, a centre midfielder, a right back, a striker. And invariably, not all those things happen. Mm. I kind of wonder if that will be the case more than ever this summer. Yeah, I think you you're probably right, but I also think that our circumstances in some ways demand that we address as many as, uh, of those issues as possible. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because it's one thing saying we need this, that, and the other when you're finishing top four season after season and you're in the Champions League. But True. when you're on course for probably the lowest finish in, uh, you know, is it the lowest finish in living memory? Potentially. Where did we finish last year? I've forgotten. It's uh, the lowest finish in my living memory, pretty much, because I barely remember 94, 95, was it? When yeah, 12. 12. Um, um, yeah, I think it will be. The so we likely. finished eighth last season, and we're probably likely to finish there or thereabouts, somewhere in yeah. that region again. Now, we could of course, have a storming end to the season. Um, and I have a question about that, which I'll say for part two. But the the need to rebuild, the need to improve, the need to make progress probably demands that you do as many of the things as you can possibly do. Whereas, you know, we say, well, we need competition for the goalkeeper. We need a backup left back. We need um, maybe to do something at right back. Central midfield, we really need to do something there. Centre of defence, oh boy, we need to do something there. We've got to sort out the creative element of the midfield. We're fine in terms of personnel when it comes to numbers in, you know, the forwards and and the Mm -hmm. the, the top, uh, that front three. But like, who's going to be the striker? Do we need a backup striker? Do we need to, you know, replenish, rejuvenate, all of those things. So I think there is probably a lot 
going on or a lot that's likely to go on. But of course, there are so many individual situations that you can name that um, it's going to be really complicated, really, really complicated. So, I mean, uh, on that, uh, the Gooner Talk at the Gooner Talk TV says, not naming names, but how do you rank the priorities of positions for attention in the summer transfer window? These are the likely areas. Central midfield, central attacking midfield, right back, left back, backup goalkeeper, striker, plus any other areas you think we might be interested in. So what's your what's your priority? I think it is central attacking midfielder. I know, obviously, Odegaard's there playing that position at the moment, but I do think securing him, retaining him, or an equivalent is what I think the priority is. Um, mm. What's your number one priority? <clears throat> I'm slightly torn between the centre of midfield where I think we need, if we really want to make progress, we need to um, we need to upgrade in that area mm-hmm. and centre half, where I think we need to pro- produce some or find a partnership as much as possible that that can you know be uh, present for most of our games. If you know what I mean, I know it's a squad game right now, but I do think that the centre of defence is is an area that I would be keen to see uh, an upgrade in, or 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 you know a new direction in. And you know maybe we have that player, and we've spoken about him before in terms of um, you know what we do with with William Saliba. Um, so maybe that's maybe that's what we do there, but I think if not, that is a big one. I think right centre <clears throat> half. For sure, it is a big one. Yeah, it is because we've got but the I, we've got the the got left it. side. We've got Gabriel. We've got Pablo Murray, and we have Rob Holding, and we currently have David Luiz. Who you know, I I just don't think we should give a new deal to. Um, I just don't, uh, and I know he's played well and and everything else, but I just uh, there's there's too much risk involved in that uh, for me, and I I like my blood pressure low <laughs> when I'm watching Arsenal which I know is kind of counterproductive or counterintuitive to say given what this team puts us through but I do think that but 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 if I was really really pushed to choose one it would be a central midfield player who comes in alongside Partey and is you know a, a, an improvement and an upgrade on on what we have already on, on Shaka who you know it's not to denigrate him but I think most people would say if we had a player who was a bit more mobile, who could pass it uh, in the same way, who had, more, you know, attributes, perhaps more ball winning attributes. I don't know exactly who the player is, but somebody to partner party. Mm. I think that's where my my priority would be. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think both of those are on the list for sure. I just feel like... Um, and maybe people say, well, we've got Smith Rowe, we've got Bukai Sako, who could potentially play as that kind of number 10. But I just think Odegaard has, has unlocked something in this Arsenal team. And mm. consequently, that's why he's number one for me. But but the right side of centre-half thing, that would be right up there. Mm. I just think that between whatever you may think of the possibility of extending Louise, between that option and the option of recalling 
William Saliba and maybe even at a push of playing Callum Chambers there, mm. I think you have got kind of in <laughs> hashtag internal solutions yeah, yeah, to yeah. that issue. I know what you mean. Issue. I know, yeah, whereas, for example, we have to do something about the goalkeeper or the backup yeah. goalkeeper at least, right? We yeah. have to. Um, we have to get a left back to understand that. I think we absolutely have to. Yeah, I mean, goalkeeper. You know, you could chance your arm. You know, but we ha- yeah. literally haven't got a left back. Yeah. apart from Kim I know too. people talk about right back a lot, but like you just said, with we've got loads halves, of those. We've got loads <laughs> of them. We do. I mean, we literally have um, three players who can play in that position, whereas we have and one player miles out on loan. Yeah. And one player who can play at left back. I know Cedric can do a job there, but we're talking about players in their in their natural position. So, yeah. you know, for me, right back, while I, you know, if you offered me an upgrade, but yeah, I take it. But I think we will have to cut our cloth a little bit this summer um, and focus on the areas that absolutely need, um, you know, the squad to be uh, bolstered in. And that is left back. That is a backup goalkeeper. I mean, it just strikes me that we'll probably sign Matt Ryan, will we? Maybe. It feels kind of straightforward, doesn't it? Um, And I think he's made a positive impression. People seem to like him and think he's decent. So, yeah, that would make sense. What's his contract situation? He's got another year. I think he's got one more year at Brighton. Uh, I'll just double check that now. But I think that is the no, case. Contract expire. Oh, hang on. No, 2022. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah one yeah. more year. One more year. But so. cheap. I mean, he's not going to cost a huge amount of money, is he? No. Um, and if they were prepared to let him go on loan, you know, I think there's definitely a deal to be done there. Uh, uh, to be honest, it's interesting. Central midfield, I do think there's going to be a numerical issue you know if you if we say Torreira and Ganduzi won't be involved mm-hmm. and we say Ceballos goes back I think you have to wonder what sort of role Joe Willock will play next season if at all mm-hmm. at Arsenal um, and then Mohamed Elneny I think will be maybe a year from the expiry of his deal at Arsenal so there'll be a decision on him too Um I do think numerically we do need someone in that area. So I can see why that figure's high on your list. The the last one, centre-forward, I'm less and less confident that Arsenal will sign a centre-forward this summer. I just think the way things are going, I, I, there are a few different things happening that make that seem unlikely. Okay, such as? So one is Aubameyang playing there more regularly. Yeah. I mean, that makes a big difference. Um, and that's what should happen, I think. I know people have had issues with his form, but when you when you go large on a player's contract like that at the age of 31, you don't have him chasing up and down the wing because, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. You know, and it doesn't make any sense um, within the system that we've begun to play with these technical players behind a striker. It makes a lot of sense to have someone like mm-hmm. Aubameyang there. So that's, yeah, okay, that's one. That's number one. Number right. two is that the sort of whispers and hints about Gabriel Martinelli potentially being considered as an option in that position. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that might have an influence. And then number three is my growing hunch that Lacazette stays. Um, Mm. Not gets a new deal. Doesn't get a new deal. Okay. Yeah. I did see some stuff over the weekend that there was... 
you know, there were some whispers that he might get a new deal. I think what yeah. we do in the transfer market uh, at centre forward entirely depends on Lacazette and what we right. decide to do with him. And Ketia will go regardless, I think. I think Eddie will go, yeah. I think, um, you know, the last actually, in terms was- of raising money, mm-hmm. some of these young academy players are maybe our best bet. I mean, if you put Lacazette and Ketia on the market this summer, I think there's every chance Ketia fetches more money. Hmm. Is that unrealistic? I just wonder with the sort of premium on young it English depends. players. I mean, are, are yeah. Bournemouth going to buy him? I mean, if they do... You know, they've spent a load of money on... Yeah. You know. Uh, let's hope Bournemouth buy him, because given well, some of the fees they've spent for could, the players... Could, could we just get Liverpool to sell Eddie and Ketty a fourth? How about that? Because <laughs> they get remarkable money for their young players who who have done far less than Eddie has. You know, this is yeah. England under-21's record goal scorer. He scored goals for us in the in the Premier League and in the Europa League. Um, so, I, I, you know, I think there's definitely value in him but it depends on you know who's got money out there and is willing to spend it on him um i mean liverpool sold Rian brewster for 20 million didn't they and yeah. he's not scored a premier league goal this season yeah. in 20 games so yeah if they were up for kind of being a middleman on the deal yeah. i'd be all for it but what i was saying is i do wonder if the young english players are Arsenal's best chance of bringing in some cash this summer, even if their value has diminished a bit of late. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I mean, Maitland-Niles, Nketiah, Willock... Nelson. Nelson could all go for for pretty decent money. Um, Lacazette is what? He's 29, he's going to be 30 when? uh, In May, with a year left on his deal. Mm. So, look... Has he only got 16 caps for France? Is that all? Yeah, he, he really, he's really barely figured for France. Right. It is interesting. Yeah, because I was going to say, like, an international player, blah, 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 but, you know, he hasn't played for he's France in really. a long time, yeah. yeah. Um, I think... I think... Probably there's somebody out there who would take him for a reasonable amount of money, but it depends on what we could get for that money if we're going to reinvest it back in there. I mean, I don't think we should be, you know, giving him a new deal. Um, if it was up to me, I would sell him, yeah, to be I would, clear. If there, was, yeah. if there was a buyer at a good price, to be honest, pretty much any price that was worth reinvesting, I would do that deal. Mm. But I just wonder thinking about Arteta and looking at how Arsenal have held on to players in a couple of transfer windows already, mm. if he does let Nketiah go, I wonder if he'll justify this kind of security blanket of Lacazette for another 12 months for the sake of, I don't know, whatever mm. it will be, 10 to 15 million quid. I wonder if he'll, what about, he'll do um, that. What about Balogun? I, Game I, over? I've... Personally, I think so. Um, I mean, if Nketiah is going and Aubameyang is 31, you know. Yeah, yeah. You could I, I, sell him on the pathway. pathway. Yeah. There's definitely a pathway. Or you could say, sign a new contract and you're going out on loan to a Premier League club who you're, where you'll play more regularly. I mean, mm. that's, that's what I would be selling to him. I'd be yeah. saying, have a new deal. And guess what? You're going to spend two years on loan playing real football while we, mm. you know, 
see out of Ben Rennick's contract and use Martinelli. I, I just wonder, you know, knowing what we know about Arteta, and I think he does have a tendency towards experience in some scenarios. I don't think he'd be happy with a Bamiang, Martinelli and Balogun as his strikers. No, I don't think so. I think he would want something a, a, a else. A more experienced option, I think. Um, and, and that's why I'm starting to wonder if he'll go, I need to keep Lacazette. Sorry, Edu. Um, mm. Don't know. We're, I mean, time will tell. A- again, it's very tricky because a lot depends on how how what the market's like you know what about um you know if you sell Lacazette and Inter Milan go broke and you bring in Lukaku would you like that <laughs> that'd be nice are, are they going broke I think so I think so I mean Lukaku is reportedly on Manchester City's list um but they don't they don't they don't use strikers anymore so that's true actually they've evolved beyond the position uh, I mean Lukaku's been a, a astonishing for Inter really really good um, I can't see that sadly sadly no but you know it would be nice um, we, we have to find the new Lukaku the Christian Benteke's of this world <laughs> uncover a rough diamond <laughs> Yes, we're going to have to do that. Uh, yeah, look, it's uh, going to be a hugely interesting summer, isn't it? Well, it really uh, what about this question from Niall um, on that note? Who's, who's at Tuitu on Twitter? After reassessing Edu's summer and winter performance, what grade are you giving him and what confidence, I guess more importantly, do you have in him moving forward? I am... Less unconfident than I was. <laughs> yeah. But I need to see more before I could become confident in itself. Right? Yeah. Um, because I do think, like, the last summer's transfer window was just mental. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we... Not that we've forgotten. How could we forget? But, you know, everything was just so weird and bizarre and surreal and difficult. and Particularly uh, Arsenal. Yeah. You know, there was a lot going on. Um, all the circumstances um, of everything that had happened over the, you know, the previous two years, 18 or 18 months, two years, and even for a couple of years before that, right? You know, there mm-hmm. was a need for some kind of reset and rebuild, which I think everybody was, was you know, on board with to various degrees. Uh, you know, how much you wanted to raise it all to the ground and build it up again, that fluctuated, right? Mm-hmm. But I do think last summer's transfer window, there were things we didn't do well, but um, it's hard to look beyond the circumstances. Um, and also, I think, yeah, well, I mean, look, the pandemic and then there was the Raul Sanyehi thing and, and all of that kind of stuff. None of that helped. None of it helped. No. The winter, the January transfer window is never really a good one anyway to, to make any sort of judgments on. But mm-hmm. they sorted out the Ozil situation, which was like a cloud hanging over the club. Yeah. Whether you loved Ozil or didn't love him, you you have to admit that that was not a healthy situation for anyone, for the club, for the player, for the fan base, for anyone. It was just completely unhealthy. So they sorted that out. 
They got rid of Mustafi, which I have to say gets a big tick from me. Uh, Kalasinac also gone. Whether Mm. we can shift him this summer or we just let him stay at Schalke, um, just say, no, keep him. No, it's fine. He's yours. You keep him. It's absolutely Tricky fine. We don't, yeah, money. they look like they're very much headed for reg- relegation. They do. And I, I, uh, I fear that they won't be able to no. pay Kalasnatch's no. wages. No, if that's the case. Um, uh, the Socrates situation also sorted. You know, uh, and I think he yep. was. I think he was kind of a bit. You know, it was a bit unfair um, in certain ways how he was. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Portrayed. Portrayed. You know, I think he was just a good, honest pro, um, you know, decent player, not great, but far less error prone than someone like Mustafi, who played, uh, you know, quite a bit more um, Mm -hmm. because there were elements of his game which Arteta liked better, um, you know, on the ball, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, so, and obviously the Odegaard thing was a real coup. It was a really, really good piece of business. So, the inexperience, I think, that we have concerns about when it comes to Edu and Arteta and Edu's role. I know he did a similar kind of job at Corinthians, but in terms of managing player uh, arrivals and departures and those kind of things in the European game, he was really inexperienced. Arteta is still, you know, an inexperienced coach slash manager and all the upheaval that was happening in the world and at the football club and all the finances that, you know... So I think they had a really difficult job to do. I'm, like I say, I'm a bit more encouraged than I was, you know, um, at the end of the, the, the transfer. I mean, Partey's good business as well, but we probably should have done it, you know, in the summer. Mm-hmm. If we were going to do it, we probably should have done it sooner than we did. You know, mm-hmm. if we were going to shell out that money, just fucking do it and get him in for the start of the season. Uh, the release clause was the release clause. I know we were trying to do stuff with our and, and what have you, but, you know, maybe you might look back on that as a as a uh, recruitment duo and think mm, we should have done that slightly differently, you know? Yeah. But I am, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Would that be reasonable to say? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think there are different interpretations of his work in January. I mean, on the one hand, yes, he did get rid of a lot of the uh, players who were deemed surplus to requirements, which was fantastic. But then he basically he, just paid them to go away. He did that by just paying them, yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, you we, know, we had to pay them anyway. We would have had to pay them if they stayed, so... That's true. But like, you know, for example, with the Urza one, on the one hand, it's like, wow, you know, a lot of people tried and failed to solve that problem. um, And Edu did. But he also solved it in the most straightforward way possible by basically paying the guy. And yeah, it's it's, it's what he wanted. Yeah, no, I know. That's what Urza wanted. But I, I do wonder, like, if at any point we'd gone to any of those players and said, we'll pay you what's left in your contract, Fuck we off. might have succeeded. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, look, it wasn't know, the most, yeah, you're right. It wasn't the most sophisticated uh, thing. But I think in terms of, I, I just meant shaping the squad and, and sort of, you know, getting rid of some of the elements which weren't conducive mm. to you know, the, the the harmony and togetherness that you want, you know, to give the well, manager a group of players. I think that's that's a that's the the sidebar to that. Okay. It's it's easy to say, here's some money, fuck off. Um 
but the 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 benefit of that is that you have a a, a smaller squad and a much more manageable squad. Yeah, I liked it from kind of a technical perspective. You know what I mean? Even mm. if there are question marks over it from a business perspective, I like that it was a decision made for the manager, really. It was to say, you know, here's a squad that's more manageable, a squad that you actually want to work with, and we are prepared as a club to sacrifice certain things to make that happen. Um I like that. And yeah, the Odegaard business is really good. The Matt Ryan business looks like a very sensible, reasonable Mm. piece of business. Um, So that is encouraging. And there's kind of an interesting uh, balance, I suppose, between those two signings of sort of one being a young player with elite pedigree who could potentially help take this team to the next level. And another Mm. one being someone with Premier League experience who's probably come in relatively cheaply who is filling a spot in the squad. And I think going forward, there's going to have to be a bit of that kind of column A, column B approach from Arsenal. You know, maybe they can sign a top-class right-sided centre-back, but it means when they're looking for their backup left-back, they have to cut their cloth a little bit more. You know, I I can't see a scenario where we just get our number one choice in every area of the pitch. Um, so I think that's encouraging that Edu's shown a bit of diversity of approach there. Um, Do, he's also you... stopped signing players from the same agent over and over again, so mm. that helps. Yeah, um, for now, anyway. For now, yeah. <laughs> Let's see what the summer brings. Uh, what were you going to ask me, sorry? Are you? I was going to ask you, are you confident or are you... Do you feel like there is, at least in the minds of those responsible for the work that needs to happen a clear plan as to what needs to happen? Hmm. I think I I am actually relatively confident on that simply because there was a lot of discussion last summer about this kind of projected idea of where the team was going. Mm. You know, they were going to end up playing more of a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1, which they weren't really playing at the time. They started the season with three at the back as long ago as that seems. And we have seen some of those evolutionary steps actually take place this season, which is positive. I also think something like the left-back situation, you know, everybody in the club was aware that's something that needed to be addressed, but a strategic decision was taken to address it in the summer. Um, And actually, I I was okay with that because I kind of feel like, well, if that enables you to do the right deal, Mm. get the right player, Mm. then so be it. I guess I have confidence that having both had their feet under the table. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great 
great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. For a little bit of time now, and seemingly having some sort of rapport, that Arteta and Edu will at least have kind of a shared vision and a shared idea of where they want to take this team. Yeah, um, that's where which I, maybe hasn't been the case for a while. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, I think a lot of uh, Arsenal's transfer business was much like the football, kind of improvised. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It was like, oh, this guy's available. Oh, sometimes you know, we 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 have to go and we have to get a central defender. We need to, but then you know, we do a, a thing like Mustafi. So you know, um, the efficacy of the business wasn't great, but there were times I think where you know you can remember, I'm sure very well when we were. Uh, when we signed Andrei Arshavin, mm-hmm. pretty much everybody was saying we need to sign a defender or a defensive <laughs> yeah. midfielder Chris in the Sandler January transfer. Yeah, 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 everybody. And then he goes and buys a five foot seven playmaker. You know, so I'm not sure how. I mean, obviously there was a plan in his mind, but you know, maybe it only made sense uh, in his mind as well. Whereas I think. There's definitely a structure, isn't there, to to the way that Arteta wants to work. And I think in terms of the way he wants to play, he has spoken about wanting to play 4-3-3. He has spoken about the need for, what did he call it, specificity in certain positions and, and yeah. you know, how important that is to, to helping him play the way he wants to play. Um, so with that in mind, you have to think that while they may not know exactly who they must certainly know what they mm. want you know what i mean mm. so yeah absolutely um so i i guess like you cautiously optimistic i, I uh, this is going to be a boring thing that we'll keep saying probably between now and the summer but it is just difficult to anticipate mm. what the levels of expenditure are going to be and how that will impact you know everybody mm. um but within that could you know setting that to one side i'm much more positive about edu than i was a, a few months ago should we say okay all right well look i tell you what we'll do is we will leave part one right there i was trying to figure out which part of the podcast it was that's how strange my mind is uh, so yes it is part one and coming next we'll have part four but we're going to yeah. take a break and uh, in between that there'll be three other parts and then we'll come back with your questions <laughs> and more in part two right after this. Welcome back to part two of this interlull, Arscast Extra, and this is the part of the show where we answer your questions, but we've already been doing that in part one, so this is the part of the show where we answer more of your questions that you send to us yeah. on Twitter, at GunnerBlog and at ArsBlog, and also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. Uh, for Patreon members, watch out tomorrow for uh, a new episode of the podcast Statements, in which I speak to a guest. We do statements, and they have to either agree, disagree, strongly agree, or strongly disagree with those statements. For example, uh, Willie Ann is brilliant. And you have to either agree, 
strongly agree, disagree, strongly disagree, or vehemently uh, disagree while hitting me over the head with a hammer. Uh, uh, that's available for Patreon members tomorrow. You can sign up if you like. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash arseblog. Right. We're going to get into this one straight away, James. Mm-hmm. We're going in for the kill, the big, big one. And it is from the, uh, I think it's from the Discord. It comes from Chris. And Chris mm-hmm. says... What are your predictions for the run-in to the end of the season? This is something you have done previously, and this season, more than any other I can remember, it will be desperately difficult to predict. But, but, you signed up to do podcasts, and this is your penance. So, I'll go through the fixtures... Okay. Remember to write them down somewhere. I am writing that them down. I've got lose. them on a back that I will lose, okay. and somebody will yep. have to go back and listen to this podcast and then send me a spreadsheet, which I will then lose and will never reference it again. But we'll we'll do the predictions. So here we go. Starting with how many games have we got of one, two, three, Are we doing ten. just Premier League? Yeah, just or? Premier League. Just right. Premier League. Come on. Okay. Okay. So Liverpool at home. What is your prediction for Liverpool at home? Call me crazy, but I'm going to say an Arsenal win. Wow. Okay, a win. Um, just a feeling. Just, just a, a feeling, feeling on that one. Okay. I I am a little less crazy, but mm-hmm. I do think we can get a draw from this game. Okay. I think we can get a draw. So, Sheffield United away. What's your thoughts on that one? So, my thoughts are, obviously, Sheffield United aren't particularly good. Um it's the sort of game Arsenal absolutely should win. Mm. But it's also the kind of game I can imagine them not winning. Um, right. I'm going to go for a draw. Okay. I am going to go for a win in that game. Okay. So we're level pegging, really, yeah. ultimately. I do see your point, though, about that kind of fixture being problematic yeah. <laughs> for us. <laughs> it's seven o'clock on a Sunday as well. Oh, no. I yeah. changed my mind. I've changed my mind. Seven o'clock on a Sunday, that's a draw. I'm sorry. I can't. I just can't go for a win in I that know. schedule. That that That's good. It's fucking bastard fucking Sunday night. Okay. Um, um, then it's Fulham. Fulham at home. At home. I think we're going to win that one. I think so too. Okay. The next game is Everton at home. Mm, I think we will draw. Draw. See, I have a feeling we're going to get a little kick in one of the fixtures, and I have a... Yeah, it could be that one. So I think we're going to lose to Everton at home. Okay. Some kind of David Luiz red card penalty incident, something like that. How can it be an own goal and a red card? It just can. (laughs) He's finally managed it. Newcastle away. Oh, I think Arsenal will win. Okay, Newcastle away. I think we'll also win that one. Uh, They're not very good. West Brom at home. Has to be a win. Has to be a win. Sorry, Ainsley. Sorry, Joe. But we've just beaten you in the last two games. Chelsea... Away, a loss. I'm afraid. Yeah, that's what I'm going for too. Crystal Palace away. That could be anything, couldn't it? Yeah. Um, I just lost to Chelsea. 
I'll say that we'll win that. Mm, okay. I don't believe it, but I'll say it. I'm going to take a draw in that one. Yeah. And then I think we'll beat Brighton. I think we'll beat Brighton on the final day of the season with fans back. Will fans be back? Could fans be back in the stadium? Hopefully some. So you've gone for one, two, three, four, five, six wins from our last 10 games and two draws, which gives us 20 points. Is that right? Six yeah, threes, 18, bad, 20. And I've gone for one, two, three, four wins. One, two, three, four wins. One, two, three draws. Whew. So much fewer points, 15 for me. I think... I think one, two, yours might be more one, accurate. Two, three, four, one, two, three. Yeah, fifteen. Yeah. Well, well, that would take us to what, respectively? Uh, where are we at the look. moment? That would be. Uh, we are on forty-two points. So sixty-two for you, and fifty. Seven for me. Mm. That took a long time to add 42 and 15. My mind, <laughs> it did it? take you a while. Did I was looking at the numbers going, these don't make any sense. It's actually, this, actually guys, this sum is impossible. Um, <laughs> this, this sum just doesn't go. Yeah. There's, uh, there's it, no possible way those two numbers can be added together to create yeah, another number. Uh, well, oh, well. Um, I just broke So I guess if you get that many points, the league will be voided because it'll be an impossible number. Uh, yeah, I mean... Look, it doesn't matter anyway optimistic. because we're going to win the Europa League, so... Well, that's the thing. You know, it does feel like a pointless exercise given that we are winning that. Yeah. But you've got to go through the motions. You have to. I suppose. It's for the listeners, really, you know? <laughs> it's what um, we do. That's what we committed to as podcasters to make... Um, exactly. We've we made our bed. Yeah. Terrible now we need predictions. to do predictions in it. Yeah. So, what about this question, seeing as it's the interlal? Jay Alex, who's at Jordan AM 1988, says, what is your best memory of an Arsenal player in international football? I think it's Emmanuel Petit. Yeah. In the 1998 World Cup final. Um, he scored the third goal, didn't he? Um mm-hmm. Like, I, I, Petit was... Set out by Vieira, yeah. I believe. Petit, not my favourite player. I thought he was great that double season, but then he just kind of, I don't know, he annoyed me anyway. But at the time, having just won the the double uh, at mm. Arsenal and Vieira came on as a substitute and, you know, France versus Brazil in the final, in France... I think that's probably the one that stands out for me. You know, and that's as I say this as somebody who who you know, who's not particularly committed to international football. Yeah. Um I mean, are there any for you standout moments? I mean, mm. that's what I would have said. I mean, Dennis Burkamp against Argentina. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, that's yeah. hard to see past. Oh my God! Yeah, the Dennis Bergkamp, and then the commentary, of course. Frank de Boer spelt the ball heel goed naar Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp let the ball aan. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. I also have fond memories of the summer we signed Thomas Rosicki. Him oh. absolutely belting one in from long range. Maybe against the USA. It was, yeah. In, in yeah. one of the first games in the World Cup, yeah. And thinking, oh, we'll be doing that every week, I imagine, in the and Premier League. And he did it pretty early on, didn't he? In, in a Champions League game, fairly early on in his Arsenal career. Yeah, he maybe l- against Dortmund. I'm not sure, but... Yeah, I, I remember that, an, uh, an early long-range goal. But mm. that one in the World Cup was extraordinary. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's probably loads that we're not thinking of. But, you know, it's hard to remember these things when they happen for not Arsenal. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. But, you know, there have been a couple of happy memories along the way. Arsenal winning the World Cup in 1998, though. It doesn't get much better than that. That is true. That is true. Um... Let me ask you these questions then. Yes. From Obamiang FC, who's at Aviv underscore Lavi, who says, Morning, gents. Do you think having the World Cup in the winter next year will adversely affect Arsenal's rebuild? We all know how important next season uh, is for us. Do Premier League clubs with fewer international stars have an advantage? Mm. And then this one from... Uh, I got to find it here. It's in my Twitter and I can't find it. Uh, I can't find it, but I'll look for it again. So ask that one or answer that one and I'll find the other question. Um, I mean, do we have loads of internationals? Loads more than other Premier League teams? I'm not sure. I feel like we we used to have more. Yeah, we used to have a lot. And then... Now, you know, there are plenty of players in the current squad who probably wouldn't be involved in a World Cup. Mm. Um, so we might be less adversely affected than some of our immediate rivals. Um, but a Winter World Cup will obviously be mental and weird and mean that no season will really feel like a proper season That's, yeah, for years and years. It's cr- It's mad, isn't it? Because, I mean, what is the the schedule? Because, I mean, the la- last season didn't really feel like a proper season because of the way it was interrupted, right? Yeah. And we had the lockdown and then football recommenced. And um, this season doesn't feel like a proper season at all because mm-hmm. there's no fans in the stadiums. People can't go to games. Um, so, you know, it doesn't feel real. And next season is going to feel bizarre given that it's going to start and then stop. Group stage kicks off 21st of November, 2022. How far in advance of that are players who are involved in the World Cup... Obliged to meet up. ...going to meet up? And at what point does that then impact top-level football? Like, when does it... It's got to be two or three weeks, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So that takes you to sort of the start of November. So... You've basically got two months, September, October. Yeah. So it's going to be two months if the World Cup runs for a month. Oh, two months break. Yeah. 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 I I, I meant two months probably before the break. And then what do they do? Are they going to squeeze in the rest of the season 
I mean, are they going to have to? Are they going to do anything to, to to offset the the impact on either the the schedule or how many games have got to be played? Like, are we going to have a league cup? Are we going to have two legged European ties? Are they going to are they going to adjust certain things about the football calendar to keep the calendar the way it is currently? In that, like, no new season is going to start in August, or are they going to do something mad? I don't know. Yeah, you'd like to think that they'll make some adaptations, but it will be odd for mm. sure. Um, yeah, it will be. And, and I do think that <clears throat> the next few years, I mean, they announced last week, didn't they, how long the gap's going to be, I think, between the end of this season and the start of next. Um, and it's a relatively swift turnaround again. Mm. So where players will feel... Where, how players will feel by kind of you know spring 23 I have no idea yeah um, I mean the, the less of our players what I really want is all our players to kind of retire from international duty ideally <laughs> but that's the thing the best players if you want the best players they play for their countries that's the reality I know you know um so we, we, we can't avoid it. Uh, the other question I was going to ask is from uh, David McNamara, who's at DVD MCN, who says, are you a bit disappointed that there hasn't been a single player during this interlude to come out and say, fuck the World Cup, I'm not going to dance on the graves of 6,000 migrant workers and just opt out of playing World Cup qualifiers? And just to sort of um, correct that uh, tweet, it's 6,500 migrant workers reportedly have died in Qatar since, um, you know, the, yeah, it's... Yeah, it is surreal as well seeing international teams kind of protest while attempting to qualify for the tournament. Like there, there is something. Mm. Uh, I guess it's better to protest than to not. But there is a kind of uh, hypocrisy almost in you're kind of endorsing it and protesting at the same time. It seems to me. But. Yeah, it is a difficult one, and it's you know some would say they're you know using the platform to raise the issue is is good uh, and i suppose yeah. it is in some ways it is mad when you read the articles and you read the news stories that you know leaving aside the the fact that the world cup um has had such a is going to have such a big impact on on the football calendar like the fact you know that it's being played in the middle of a season which is mm. just wrong, in my opinion. But, you know, six and a half thousand people have died. Um, and I don't quite know how to put this, other than it's not just six and a half thousand people that are affected by that. You know, you can read the article and say, well, six and a half thousand, that's an awful lot of people, um, but it doesn't really affect me and I want to watch the World Cup and blah, blah, blah. But, mm -hmm. you know, each one of those people has family and friends and mothers and fathers and children and all of those things, you know, so it's way more than the impact of this is way more than just, and I say just six and a half thousand people losing their lives, but it's an extraordinary heartbreaking thing to think that this sporting event, which is going to be, um, watched by millions and billions and, and used to generate 
huge amounts of revenue and income, uh, you know, for FIFA, for footballers, for brands, for, mm. for all of those things, that the cost of that is people's lives. It is obscene, really. And now that I'm talking about it and speaking about it and, and thinking about it, it's just wrong, isn't it? It is, yeah. And I'd like to think that Arsenal players, as the question asked, will kind of take their stand against it. Well, not just um, Arsenal players. I mean, footballers in general. I mean... Oh, of course, of course. So I thought know, the question... No, no, no. I mean, yeah. I mean, it is heartening in some ways that, that, that you know, there is talk. I mean, I, I read that the Norwegian national team are... are there's very strong calls for, for them to boycott the World Cup. Um, right. But, you know, whether it happens or not, whether national associations will allow that to happen, because, you know, ultimately, um, you know, they generate and they get money from from these events as well. So, you know, people will say, you know, the best thing you can do is actually, you know, go there and, you know, use your voice and use your platform to protest and raise the issue, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas the strongest thing I think you could do is just have no part of it. Mm-hmm. That is the strongest mm-hmm. protest you could make. I agree, but I think, like you, there won't be many, if any, who do that. I agree. And I, and I, even in a footballer's career, you know, a short career, the, the fact is most of them want to play in World Cups, and I think mm. most will. Um, but I, I, I think we will see, I'm confident we will see forms of protest you know, associated with the tournament. But it is a very unpleasant situation. Um, It's awful, to be honest, those numbers about the migrant workers who've died there. It's just so depressing to hear about. Yeah. Um, You know, look, we all all, um, love football and we all love the World Cup and everything else, but... That and we've, we've become, all become slightly inured it's exa- to that's exactly thousands the of people dying. Yeah. And the idea of uh, indentured labour, basically. True. You True. Know? And the inherent kind of conflict in, you know, following football and supporting football, you know, there are inevitable kind of ethical questions that you encounter um, due to like business associations that we kind of shrug <laughs> at collectively. Yeah, look at our sponsor. Exactly. You know? Um, but... This instance, with it being the World Cup and with that standing for having certain, you know, you'd like to think anyway, having certain sort of place and prominence in the game, it is Mm. a kind of particularly egregious example of that conflict between everything that's good about football and everything that's bad. Mm. Yeah. By the way, on that kind of note of ethics and football, I haven't seen a question about this, but what did you make of Thierry Henry's decision to step away from social media and do you think we'll see any other kind of high profile sports people doing that I think when someone like Thierry Henry does does that it's mm. it's you know like it's like okay it's not the same as not going to the world cup but it's it's probably more impactful than just saying racism is bad or abuse is is bad or you know on your social media account like ultimately i i don't think um what's the right way to put this like i don't think it you know thierry henry doesn't need social media he doesn't depend on social media in any way 
No. You know what I mean? Like his brand is built, his his presence is enormous. Everyone knows who he is, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so I, I'm not saying it's easy for him to do what he did, but you know he's in a position where you know he can he can walk away from Twitter and he can walk away from Instagram, and it's not really going to make a big deal to his life. But if that gesture can get a conversation going about the um, unwillingness mm. of social media networks to properly deal with issues of, of abuse, then mm-hmm. I think it's great because it is a, it's an ongoing problem. It's an ongoing issue, um, you know, and, and we can all pull up hundreds and hundreds of examples of, of how awful it can be. And they don't deal with people who are abusive and people who are racist and people who are sexist and people who are misogynistic and people who are uh, all kinds of um, bigots and express those views. They don't get dealt with the way that they should. You know? No, not at all. Yeah, well, did you see the thing in the... the, There was a... Could have been could have been the guardian last week where they did a big dive on facebook moderation right and didn't see it no right but one of the things was um it's okay to wish death on a minor local celebrity as long as you don't tag them into it (laughs) (laughs) sorry for laughing i mean you know look i that explains all those posts about me. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> but you know, yeah, um, wow, that's extraordinary. Yeah. So I think you know there is clearly a need for them to to do more, and I think he used the phrase "powers that be" or something like that, or the authorities, um, which I think is a slightly different conversation. You know, it, it, I'm not sure it's something that needs to be regulated by government or something like that, but there needs to be. Uh, a set the businesses of, themselves. Yeah. Apply some fucking standards. Apply mm. some standards. You know? And don't allow somebody who is blatantly racist or whatever to continue to use your service. Simple as that. I know it's not easy and there, you know, there are ways around things and... You know, people say, well, you should have to, like, use your real name and you have to, you know, uh, use ID or whatever to to get a social media account. That's problematic for a couple of reasons, because, you know, there are reasons why um, being anonymous on social media is is a good thing and it can be helpful for for a lot of people. And, um, you know, not everybody has the freedom to express themselves the way that we do. The other the other thing is that there are a lot of people out there who are quite happy to use their real names and be absolute wankers. Yeah, you know what I mean? That's true. So it doesn't get rid of those people. that's my real name and I'm going to do this. Uh, Now what? You know what I mean? So there is a need clearly for them to do more and to be stricter. And I think the the example that he used um, where he said if they were as quick to deal with, you know, abuse, abusive people or racist, you know, as they do with somebody posting a five second gif of a goal, you know. 
There are other vested interests at play there, though, of course, you know, Premier League and, you know, the rights holders and, and all those kind of things. And ultimately, what are we going back to but money? No, and I applaud him taking a stand. I mean, he shouldn't have to take that, uh, you know, measure. Mm. Um, but it does need to change. And I wouldn't be surprised if other athletes follow suit, given the fact that Thierry Henry's done this and how well thought of he is and how much frustration and anger and mm. hurt people feel about the fact that this kind of behaviour is tolerated. Um so yeah, let's hope. Well, let's hope it's the start of something. Again, the cynic in me fears mm. not, and uh, the social media world will continue turning without Thierry Henry. But I applaud him for trying to take a stand. Okay, here's a let's let's fly through a few just before we go. Yeah. Another ten minutes, and we'll we'll whiz through some questions. Arsenal Cannon Picks, who's at Ars Cannon Picks, says, Maybe I'm just a miserable git, but does it annoy you when we celebrate goals for years that ultimately led to nothing, uh, i.e. the Welbeck header versus Leicester and our shaven against Barcelona? Undoubtedly wonderful moments at the time, but forever replayed for no reason. I saw this question too. I have to say it doesn't annoy me at all. I think that football is about those moments and if you can't derive satisfaction or joy from them uh, you know it's not only about the winning and, and think of all the clubs who uh, haven't won very much at all and yeah it doesn't mean that those supporters don't have points along that journey that they mm. revere or look back on fondly or yeah. admire I mean I don't think he's saying you can't enjoy them in the moment because obviously you do but it's the 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 replaying of them like I I see kind of what he means about the Welbeck Leicester one even though that was a, a brilliant mm. a genuinely brilliant moment in the stadium um, I remember being there that day and it was incredible um, but you know something like because you look at that Welbeck header and I just think regret uh, of that season sure. you know it, it it it's it's not that brilliant of a goal um that it should be replayed all the time. Although, though I, don't, I don't know that it is. That's yeah. that's the other I part. Mean, I think that's a fair one in that, like, there is regret with that because it was as much about the missed opportunity. But say the Arshavin one. Yeah. Right? Arsenal went out of that tie, um, didn't they, in the second leg? But... <sighs> I mean, how it, can you not look at that goal over and over and over again and just not be filled with the most pure football joy possible because a it's a brilliant goal it's against probably the best team in europe at that time um we won the game and our shavin runs off lifts up his shirt to reveal a t-shirt of himself on the shirt while arm in arm with nicholas bentner i mean how can you just not look at that and think football is just beautiful sometimes I agree. I agree. I don't think it's like we're... I'm trying to think, but the Welbeck one, I understand the issue because it kind of precipitated effectively a failure. Mm. But I I don't think we're, as a fan base, guilty of sort of celebrating goals we scored in defeats. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think that there are small victories along uh, the way. Yeah, other other clubs. We all know. The North London derby. Yeah, exactly. But um, I just think... Even with the Welbeck one, yes, there's regret there, but anyone who was there that day did experience something really thrilling and really exciting. And I 
I understand why it lives on in the memory, even if it is tinged with that sort mm. of sadness. Okay. Um, what was I going to ask you? Oh, yes. Mike Michelson at Really Michael says, after his man of the match performance <laughs> Mike, against the West Michael Ham. Michael Michelson. Yeah. <laughs> uh, after his man of the match performance against West Ham, do you think Callum Chambers could go on to be a starter for the remaining games this season? And then he says, and what player has the best story of having to wait a long time for their chance? Is it Francis Coquelin? Hashtag late bloomers. Um, does he have a chance? I mean, I think he probably has a role to play between now and the end of the season, for sure. Um, and, and clearly, Arteta must see something in him that he views as useful for specific games and specific opponents. I think we said this last week, didn't we, that, you know, when we were 3-0 down against West Ham, I was like, oh, well, now we're fucked. Not mm. just because we're 3-0 down, but you've picked a right back to give you defensive solidity against a team that's good in the air, and we're probably going to need to change that. And I didn't see that coming from Callum Chambers in terms of what he delivered in the final third. Mm. Um, so I think he probably has a role to play. Do you what? think, I mean, no, no, CI on Discord says, do you think it's in the club's best interest to play Chambers significantly more so that we know where we stand on him and can make a decision on the, in the summer? Do you think we need to see more in I, order to make a judgment? Maybe we need to see more to make a judgment. Yeah, I, I do wonder it, if it? Arteta and the coaching staff know fine well what yeah. they think of him and wh what he can do and where he can do it. So uh, maybe for us as fans to, like, because... The one thing we dislike as football fans is a grey area. We like to know things definitively, you know? So you can nail your colours to a particular mast and, and stick by it and never change your opinion, even when facts prove otherwise, uh, as is mm. the, the way of the world these days, you know? But I, I think we struggle with those. We struggle with those grey areas. And it, it's quite interesting in that you can have a position on a player um which can change radically in the space of one game or two games or three games. Mm. You know, here's a good example. Um, when Mohamed Elneny played brilliantly against Manchester United earlier in the season alongside Thomas Partey in that game that we won. Manchester United, yep, exactly. Everyone was like, ooh, ooh, hmm. <laughs> And now, I really wanted us to sell Elneny, but, you know, if he could do that a bit yeah, more, yeah, yeah. you know, he could be could be a pretty useful player for us. And, oh, well, it turns out, uh, yeah, he's still kind of who he is. And he's fine, and he's safe, and he, you know, keeps the ball moving. And, oh, he scored a rocket of a goal in the uh, Europa League. Now, if he could yeah. do that a little bit more for you, you know what I mean? So yeah. we fluctuate on players... I think Chambers will play some games between now and the end of the season. I think he might be used, uh, he could even be used at centre-half, like you said. Um, so, what was the question again? I've forgotten. Uh, just could he go on to be a starter? And is it in the club's interest to, to play him more? I, you know, I don't know about the interests of the club. I think we just picked the best players that we have available for the games that we have ahead. Um, I don't know that we, you know... You play Callum Chambers in a game to like raise his profile and, and see if you can generate a bit more cash. That's not your thinking. Your thinking is, I need to pick a, a team that's going to win this game, you know? 
Yeah, maybe. I mean, I do wonder. I, personally, I would like to see him play right-sided centre-half between now and the end of the season when the opportunity presents itself, just mm. because, you know, we're going to learn more from that than we are from picking David Luiz again, for example. Um, so I would like to see that, but that's me being nosy and maybe the club feel, as you said, mm. they already know what they think about the player. Um, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, okay. Ian, who's at uh, IANBH7 on, on Twitter, says, why are two left-footed players, or why two left-footed centre-backs playing together doesn't make sense, yet two right-footed centre-backs play together all the time? Uh, I think we've talked about this before, yeah. but I, I, ge- I genuinely... It just I, I doesn't. Are, it just doesn't, is the answer. Yep. That's no, it. I think <laughs> if I had to actually give a logical answer, what I would say is I think left-footed players often tend to be slightly more one-footed than right-footed players because mm. they're allowed to emphasise their strength, as it were, and sort of focus and play almost exclusively on the left-hand side. With their cultured um, left foot. Yeah, I just think, you know, it's quite easy to play this game, but you think about Arsenal and you think of, you know, Jack Wilshere or um, Granite Xhaka to an extent. I think there is a sort of permissiveness. I mean, they, you know, Xhaka's got a right foot, but I, he's not close to two-footed. And I think right-footed players generally are more able and more comfortable and more used to playing on their wrong side because they have to. Left-footed players, I mean, I wonder what percentage of people who play football are left-footed. What I mean, what percentage of uh, what percentage of, of people, people are left-handed? Are, I think does, does more left people are left-handed than left-footed. I'm left-footed but right-handed, for example. Okay, so you're you're a freak then. Um, yeah, yeah, that is weird. Right-handed but left-footed. So, what percentage of people are left-footed? Twelve percent of people are left-footed. Yeah. You don't have to be very good to be a Premier League footballer if you're left-footed. I could probably get a game, I reckon. Because only 12% of people are left-footed. Isn't that mad then that the other day we had so many left-footed players in the team? If you work it Mm. out from a... Not to go back to mathematics again, because I've proved earlier in this show that I'm absolutely terrible at that. But, you know, when you have Odegaard, Saka, Tierney, Shaka, there was one other, and Pepe, all on the pitch at the same time. What that doesn't tell you is that left-footed players are better. They're just better. Ah, okay. Okay, yeah, I see. so they're they're also the best twelve percent. Now it that. is interesting. I mean, you know, that is an interesting representation thing on the centre half thing. Uh, yeah, I think the the solution I gave is the only possible one, and I do think there is just kind of a mistrust, isn't there, of like two left sort of centre yeah, halves? I think, I think so. That is it's a kind just of cultural thing. One of those things that just doesn't happen. People just don't do it. You know, it's accepted wisdom. It's like putting just jam on your toast. Although I would say, when we played Benfica, I think it was the first leg against Benfica, maybe. So it was Louise and Gabrielle, I want to say, at centre-half. Mm-hmm. And there were at least a couple of occasions where, in build-up, Gabrielle switched out to be the right-sided centre-half. I don't know quite why it happened or how probably it ended Probably because Louise that way. was, you know, chasing a just bee. Just wandering. It's just, yeah, it's probably. Oh, look, a bee! But I did look at that and think, ooh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe you could blame them. No, you can't. Um, can't do it. Can't but you can't. It's That's why, the rules of football. That is why you're not a manager. Even considering that, 
just shows. I don't have the credentials. You don't have it. You don't have it. Uh, Alfie Powell says, what's a small thing you like seeing in football that changes absolutely nothing? I like when a player closes down another player with the same number, like if Saka was tackling (laughs) Son. I have no idea why. Or when the ball goes through the ref's legs, he says. That's a funny one, closing down someone with the same number. Um, I guess on that note, I quite like when the player playing a certain position has the right squad number on. I just find it satisfying when the team is displayed. Mm -hmm. Um, So I enjoy that. Uh, Other things that are completely inconsequential. I like it. Go on, go on. uh, You need fans in stadiums for this, but... Ball goes into the fans and fan heads it back. Really, really love that. <laughs> I like things like, you know, if uh, there's a free kick being given and a player has the ball in his hand and the yeah. guy is, the the opposition player is going, throw me the ball, throw me the ball, and then you just drop the ball. Right. I yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. I like things That's like that. That's quite funny. Yeah. Trying um, to think of others. That I like. Consequential things. Stuff that changes nothing. I mean, I like little rituals players have. I used to love some of the stuff Jens Lehmann used to do to keep himself warm and flexible and agile mm. during games. Like, yeah, yeah, ball would yeah. be up at the other end of the pitch and he'd be doing somersaults in the six-yard box. That was good fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, inconsequential. Oh, I mean, I guess... Like players really aggressively shepherding the ball out of play, like a centre half. You know, that is the way Sol Campbell used for to about do it. like ten yards. Yeah, <laughs> for like twenty yards, like def- like and definitely committing some sort of foul. You would imagine, like you know, backing into the player and shoulder charging him and all that stuff just to win a goal kick. I do really like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah, shoulder charges. You don't see enough of those anymore, the good old-fashioned shoulder bars. I mean, Harry Kane did one on Gabrielle's head the other day, but that's not a shoulder. That's a, like, um, GBH, I think they call that. Um, yeah, shoulder uh, charges. Let okay. me have a look and see if I had a couple more here. If not, let, by all means, ask me if you've got some. I have one here from Party Time. Who's at Party Time? Mm-hmm. Uh, time like the herb. Do you say herb or herb? I say herb. Mm. What do you say? Herb. 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 <laughs> what does he say, old party star? Uh, sorry, I was just thinking about herbs. Herbs, sorry. He says, curveball. I had surgery last uh, last week. At the last minute, I was told I couldn't have a general anesthetic and that I had to be awake during it. I opted to listen to the Arsecast. My question to you both, what's the weirdest times people have listened to the podcast? I can't answer that because I don't know. But I think if people wanted to reply to us on Twitter to tell us what the weirdest ones were, that could be quite fun. We could get some good replies there. I hope it wasn't like heart surgery, yeah, or anything like that. I don't, yeah, I don't like the idea of being awake during surgeries. No, no, it's different now. I think you know they can give you the old um, what to call it. The thingy, the little tiny thingy that goes in and does the bits. Oh, robot surgery thing. Yeah, robot. Keyhole. Keyhole. Keyhole surgery, that's it. It's not like the old days 
where sores. Yeah, where they had to like slice you open. I remember having knee surgery when I was a teenager, and uh, yeah, general anesthetic, gigantic scar on the outside of my right knee. It's good. Grim. Um, I know people who listen to the podcast in bed, which I find quite odd because mm. um, I feel like they're going to drift off. A, they're going to miss all the gold at the end of part two. <laughs> this stuff. This is like the real pure podcast. But also I sort of worry that we'll somehow permeate their subconscious. Do you know what I mean? Like an inception type thing. Yeah. Um, actually, someone said to me, on Twitter over the weekend that they went to sleep listening to the podcast and they had some kind of dream about the Arsecast and... Yeah, I don't like the idea of me creeping around other people's dreams. And nor do they, I imagine. No. Yeah, it was all about World War Two. Uh, yeah, it was from uh, Simon Spoke on Twitter who said, uh, I had a dream last night that you were narrating a story about finding World War II documents in your uncle's attic. They confirmed Nazi and Arsenal atrocities. Note to self, don't listen to Arsecast Extra and watch Hunting Hitler before going to bed. So it can have an impact. What a cocktail. Mm. I mean, I, I also remember someone telling me once that they were going on a trek, like a hike, maybe through the desert or something, and they had backed up a load of podcast episodes okay. of ours to listen to during that. Um, it was like their only connection to, to the outside world. Well, there you go. Uh, you guys can tell us what is the strangest place that you've listened to the Arsecast, or in the strangest circumstances, I guess. You could have listened to it in a normal place, in the normal way, but perhaps in, in odd circumstances. I'm inclined to leave it there unless you've got a pressing question that you want answered. No, no. I think we've I think we've covered it. You know? We've done our best. We've done our best. We've given, muddled through. Given the, that it is an interlull and a very quiet interlull at that. So look, it all kicks off again at the weekend. We have Liverpool uh, coming up. We will have Patreon stuff during the week for you. We'll do Liverpool preview podcast, regular Arscast on Friday, um, and all the rest. So uh, yeah, just enjoy these final few days of quiet contemplation and no Arsenal because it's going to be all Arsenal all the time between now and May um, mm. so you know get your batteries recharged and we'll be here with you for that so there you go alright bye bye guys Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.